Hey y'all, welcome to ODAT, also known as One Day at a Time, a show where we love to discuss the essentials and tips for the everyday woman and how to achieve your best life, not just because you deserve it, but because you were made for more. I'm your host, Karina F. Daves. Hey y'all, welcome back to ODAT, One Day at a Time with your host, Karina F. Daves, a show where I love to interview what I like to call the true hustlers of the world. Today, I have a great, good, best friend of mine, also life mentor, Dr. Colleen Georges today. Colleen, can you say hi? Hi, everybody. (laughs) (laughs) I'm so excited to host her, and I can't wait to tell you how we met. But first, I love to give everybody who I interview the opportunity to have 30 seconds to just tell me anything that they want about themselves, literally from their favorite desserts to their walking resume, whatever it is. Colleen, you ready? (laughs) Well, I'll give a fun thing. This just popped into my head because I was like, ooh, I'm a mother, I'm an author. No, let's do something really fun. Okay. So... I once won a Britney Spears um, karaoke contest in Menlo Mall that a thousand people entered. Wait, first of all, <laughs> tell us the details. Is it a Britney Spears lookalike? Because you kind of do look like her. No, it was a, it was a karaoke contest. Oh, yeah. let's backtrack for a second. You've never told me that you could sing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, I'm just like a layperson singer, but um, that was one of the, you know, the career passions. So this is so interesting how, like, that you brought up that fun fact, because my story of how we met has to do with a total polar opposite person that I guess you became down the line or, you know, became in fear of, because the way the way I met Colleen was through a panel for a program of um, of counselors that were talking just about the college experience and what specifically students who um, identified as uh, Education Opportunity Fund students, um, you know, low-income first-generation, specifically what were some tools and tricks and tips that we could use to navigate college. And I remember seeing Colleen there, and Colleen's always had very long hair. And I remember seeing long hair and I had met her just very far away as a high before, but this time I was getting the opportunity to watch her speak. And as she began answering questions, the only thing that I remember, I do not even remember what she said, but all I remember is witnessing her entire neck just turn gush red. And it was like going through her neck and almost up to her face. And I remember thinking, I hope she's okay. I hope this is not a food allergy reaction. Um, And then that was my first memory. That's literally how we met. And today, I literally want to talk about your journey of ripping off the Band-Aid over and over again and listening to um, the inner advocate voice. Um, And I just just want to hear about your journey and, and how that happened. So let's talk about that first stage, right? Like, where were you there in that point of your life? You know, it really stuck with me throughout high school. I was terrified to speak um, college. I was terrified to speak and even into graduate school. And so I, you know, I began teaching uh, in 2004, 
because a mentor of mine asked me to co-teach a class with her. And I only did it not because I had any interest in teaching. I did it because I knew I needed to move past this fear. I knew it was going to hold me back on my career. I had already started to see I was working with the Douglas College Opportunity Fund at that point, and then a year later would go over to Rutgers College. And I was needing to be in these situations where I had to stand in front of people and speak, and I was so uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. So, um, so when I saw you, it probably would have been, let's say, summer 2005, maybe. Mm-hmm. It would have been around that time. And I remember when they hired me at Rutgers College EOF to stand in front of that big room, remember, in the multi-purpose yeah. room. And I was up there with at a podium. It just took everything out of me, even then. Wow. You know, to, and, and I would turn, you know, of course, all red. And then, you know we've had this conversation before, I think that ripping of the Band-Aid was, one, doing it anyway, realizing that I was going to turn red. Mm. And even I turn red sometimes now. I look back on videos, podcast things, or other things I do, and I could see the little trickle in my neck. You know, but now I realize that some of it is nerves and some of it is passion, and that when I'm passionate and excited, I tend to turn, <laughs> to turn red. Own it. I had to just say, I can't be concerned about that's what's happening to me. Who cares? Like, I'm going to talk anyway. I'm not going to stifle what I have to say just because I know that's happening. Yeah. So after you overcome that hurdle, then the next space that I see you in is while I'm in graduate school. And I see you as director of the um, TRIO programs. Yeah. Is that what it is? Yeah. The director of TRIO programs. I remember you were in the beginning stages of forming your resume company, um, getting clientele, and then you got pregnant. And then I saw you maybe when you came back and then you just vanished. You were just gone. And obviously, you know, at that point, I think I was in my first year of graduate school, but also first year as a professional. And I remember always going into your office when I would see you and you would always entertain me for like the 15 minutes, right? I was there working um, and just, just to talk to you and tell you everything that was going on with my life. And you were just such a great soundboard um, for me. And I think that those were the beginning stages of you mentoring me and me not forgetting who you were, but then you just left. So you overcome this public speaking thing. And then what did you leave? Did you leave to overcome something at that point? You know, but, you know, going back to, you know, what, what you're talking about, about our relationship, you know, talking about that for a moment, um, you know, when I, when I first met you, or at least when I remember first meeting you was, I, I want to say probably summer of 05 or 06. um, I remember that you were, and the reason now I know what it was is because I found a picture. We were going through pictures recently. You have to show me this picture. In fact, I took a picture of it and meant to text it to you and then didn't. But it's of you and Dan Wu. Dan Wu, wow. You were Joey's, my husband's, um, like like residence counselor or student counselor assistants in the summer program. Mm -hmm. And that, because I was like, where was that moment that I was like, that girl's doing things? Mm -hmm. That was it. Wow. That it it was that summer I got to see you in action a number of times and I remember that was when I said to Joey I'm really looking forward to seeing 
Karina's career because I just feel like she's going to do really awesome things. I just wow. have a feeling. Amen. And, um, and, and then you, you, you not only, I mean, you did way more awesome things than, Mm -hmm. I mean, like just watching you grow over these past many years and seeing God, seeing you speak. I mean, you're (laughs) meant to lead people. Um, But, you know, when I left Trio, it was for a lot of reasons. You know, um, Josh, of course, was born in 2009 Mm -hmm. and I left Trio a year and a half later because, you know, I, I'd always been very career driven and, you know, waited to have a, my, a child until I was 30, I was almost 34. I never really knew if I wanted children. Um, and then, um, you know, when I did, it kind of rocked my world because for three months of maternity leave, and you know what that's like, <laughs> it was like the first time I hadn't had a job in, in forever, you know, wow. like I always worked. And I remember, having lots of time to think while Josh was sleeping. And the things I was thinking about was, I don't want to go back. Mm. It was not an expectation. Like I loved my job. Um, I I loved directing those programs. I loved my students. I loved my staff. I loved what I did, but I didn't want to leave him. And of course, you know, you do. And, And I went back and, but I wasn't happy anymore. And things got just kind of tough in the office and there was some tension and things going on. And, and, it was just, um, I realized that I didn't have time with a newborn for my business anymore. I didn't have time to teach anymore. I only had time for trio and, and, you know, family and I missed the business and I missed teaching. And I thought, I wonder if I could make teaching and the business be my income. I wonder if I could do that. And it scared the living crap out of me to do it. But that was how I left Trio. <laughs> wow. That's a huge risk, Colleen. That's, a, that's an enormous risk. How was that first year of the risk-taking, basically? Um, you know, the first six months before I left Trio, I planned. And I really was looking at, like, you know, what kind of business inquiries were coming in, um, you know, how many classes would I need to teach, like just trying to figure out the logistics. I had backup plans in place for like say freelance resume writing for a career builder in another place. And 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 I started to kind of put those things together and, you know, I gave my, my notice and, and I left in August of 2010. And I really thought in some way, I, sus- I thought it was gonna be a harder transition Um, and somehow, you know, (laughs) I'm just a believer that God takes you exactly where you're supposed to go. Um, (laughs) and, um, and that, you know, I, I think for me, that was probably one of the first moments of my life or biggest moments of my life. I think kind of being called to do something, Mm. Um, something was telling me, um, that I was this was what I needed to do and to trust it. So even though I was planning and making sure I was going to be, I had safety nets and I was going to be safe and I didn't do it without thought. I also really was taking it on faith that I felt called to do this. This was what the right thing was for me and my family. And, you know, it, instead of it being difficult, it flowed 
Um, and, and it grew and it, it did quickly. I mean, Mm -hmm. all these opportunities started like banging down my door. And that was like, when I was like, you were supposed to do this. Wow. Yeah. I think sometimes we, as people have a difficult time aligning our purpose with events and by that, I mean the only example that I, that the first comes to mind, and you probably know this too, is the question after you get married that most people ask is, well, how did you know he was the one? And it is a big risk, but I think that there are moments in our lives where our purpose, our prayer request and the situation all align. And so when people ask me, how did you know Terrence was the one? I said, because I remember praying for my husband and literally 10 days later, Terrence popped into my life. We dated and I remember we got married four months later and the saying, you know when you know, it's, it's rooted in the fact that all those things align. Yeah. Your faith, the re, the, your prayer request, your vivid imagination of not necessarily of what it's supposed to look like, but what you want, right? Like some of us want a pair of sneakers. We don't know what color till we get to the store and see them all, but like we know that we want that. And so I think that is said not just when you're married, but when you're making these risky decisions, it's like, how do you know? I think that you know because it's a combination of all of that. And it's important to stay in your, grounded in your faith, but also to train your instincts. Yeah. It's so important to train your instincts and to listen to certain voices. And you talk about those in your book, um, <laughs> Rescripting Your Story. And um, I love that book. I haven't read all of it, but I love it already because I love you. And I know one of the biggest things that you talk about in your book is the inner advocate. You know, I mean, that's such a great question. And even thinking about the idea of <clears throat> loving facts and research and information and planning, I think it's funny because. Um, you know, I, you know, if you take the Myers-Briggs, um, I'm somewhere in the middle of like uh, sensing an intuition, you know, mm. I, I really like, I like to see it and touch it and know it, but I also go by my gut. <laughs> so it's like this like mixture. And I think that was very much that way with the business. Um, and, you know, it's when I think about the idea of like, how did the book come about? You know, the, the book came about, one, because, you know, of, of having many years of anxiety and panic attacks where that were very much rooted in the fact that I didn't trust myself. Um, wow. And I crap talked myself all the time. And, and you know, I, I don't think I understood it to be a lack of trust or a lack of faith in myself or a lack of faith in, you know, God or, you know, but I think it was very much like just always thinking something was going to go wrong, thinking I was going to fail, thinking I wasn't going to get something right, thinking I was going to mess something up, just really be, like being very self-critical. And um, and then overcoming that. And overcoming that, you know, was largely, you know, one of the biggest things that that helped me overcome it 
was a practice of gratitude and making that an intentional practice 20 years ago in the year wow. 2000. Um, you know, I, I saw a book by Louise Hay um, about gratitude in the store and I started a practice and, and it was a complete shift for me. Um, it shifted the way I saw myself, the way I saw others, the way I saw my life, the way I saw life in general, but it also shifted the conversation I had with myself. And I think it really, you know, laid the framework of being able to do that in so many different arenas. Mm-hmm. Um, and just believing that, you know, that, that inner advocate is, is I think sometimes the less tapped resource um, that we utilize in, in ourselves. And, and I think this, this is both for men and women, but I, you know, in my in my work, I've seen that women are even more likely to do this to themselves, to, to second guess themselves. Um, and you know what I call an inner antagonist is is often the voice that we're more likely to listen to. That one that tells you why you might mess up, why this, why this you know feeling, this 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 thought that you have is isn't actually a good idea. Whether that's to leave the job that you hate, or leave the relationship that you're not happy in, or start the business, or go back to school, or you know go after a personal goal that you have. That voice that tells you that you've messed this up before. Why would you think you could do this now there's all these reasons why it's not a good time there's all these reasons why you're not the kind of person who can do this you know and the advocate is the quiet voice you know it's, mm. it's that one that like is like excuse me <laughs> <laughs> one, one second please <laughs> just like a moment of your time um you know so it's, it's not loud <laughs> but we have to get better at hearing it you know, we have to get better at, um, you know, of being able to really call upon that voice, which is, you know, very much like the voice of a friend who cares for you or someone who's supported you. Um, and, it, and it's that one that every once in a while will tell you, like, you can do this, you know, but then mm-hmm. like the other voice comes back in and tells you all the reasons you shouldn't, why that's not a good idea. Um, so yeah, I think that that's where the idea came from, um, is just um, my own struggles with listening to that voice um, and working with so many different students and clients and, and Jesus people in my life over the years that seemed to be doing the same thing, mm-hmm. just really letting this, this antagonist voice run, run our lives. Right. So one of the things that you reminded me of is the fact that being content comparison and crisis can literally kill that inner advocate voice. Yeah. Um, I having been around people that have gone through crisis, having been around people and myself included who are stuck in a comparison trap and those that are also okay with being content, as you mentioned, content in that relationship, content at that job. And I include myself in all of these three areas. It can literally kill your joy. It can literally kill the inner advocate. And so what advice would you give for people that are in a stage of being content, uh, constantly compare themselves to others and have gone through a recent or are still in a crisis? How do we resurrect that inner voice back, inner advocate voice back? That's like such a great question. I love that those three C's right there um, are so good. You know, when it comes to, when I think of content, I call it like being passive, right? Things are, things are not awful. They're not great, but they're not awful, you know, or they're, they're a little awful, but I know this awful, 
you know, this is a common one that I see with clients, especially when it comes to career, you know, it's, I, you know, I got a good salary. Like you said, I'm content. Right. They're okay. You know, um, they're meh. <laughs> um, right. But, but you don't feel inspired, you don't feel excited, um, and, and you're just kind of passively just letting life kind of blow you around in the breeze. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, uh, you know, the comparison, going back to comparison, um, I mean, that's something I definitely, you know, still find myself um, getting in that, those moments where, you know, um, I, you know, see a post on social media about some you know, coach who's like, I just made my first year of $10 million. And I, and then it's like, I was fine. Right. And I was like, I'm doing good. And then I'm like, you suck, Colleen. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so, so, I mean, comparison I, I, is, is, a, is a soul killer for sure. Mm-hmm. But I think, you know, in those moments, I could definitely say with the comparison, um, you know, both personally and professionally with my clients, you have to, you know, I, I'm a big believer that none of us are riding, you know, or, or on the same journey, you know, mm-hmm. and, and sometimes when you're watching someone else's journey, it's really easy to sort of like latch onto the part of that person's journey that's really good in mm-hmm. a way that you feel like you don't have. Yes. And right. And then you get hooked on that thing. But we completely, it's like really, um, you know, being um, selective attention that we're not looking at all of the things in our journey that are amazing. And selective and, attention, and, right? Selective mm-hmm. attention. We're, we're selecting to pay attention to the part of someone else's journey that is better than we perceive that part of our own in some way. And we're not paying attention to all of the parts of our journey that have been, you know, incredible. All the achievements we've had, all the things we've overcome. Um, in that moment, we're just choosing to latch on to this one piece that we don't have yet, or maybe not ever, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but just forgetting the fact that, like, I always tell myself, it's 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 not your journey you know it's right and, and and if it's something that's important to you if you actually care about the thing if you want it to be a part of your journey then work on making it a part of your journey mm-hmm. you know we can use comparison um either to make us feel bad about ourselves or we can use it to say what do i admire about this person that maybe allowed them to achieve this thing that I've decided I would like to achieve. Can I learn from them? Can I pick their brain? Um, can I, can, can I learn how I might work towards that thing? Or is this maybe not that important to me? And I'm just picking it because I wanted to feel bad about myself today or, you know, wow. or, right. So I think that we want, it's about understanding that our journeys are different and that there, there's some things that may not, um, may not need to be a part of our journey, um, even if they look cool in some way. And some things that we'll decide are important enough that we can, instead of being self-beating up or envious, we can then decide how we're going to learn from somebody else and realize that that's, that's, that's cool. Like, it's okay mm-hmm. to ask people for help. Yeah. Um, and then on the contentment piece, you know, it's... It is. It's those moments where you're just like things are good, and it's and it's cool to to be to be happy, right? It's cool to say you're content in the sense that I've achieved these goals. I'm in a good place in my life. 
um, and to actually let yourself soak up and enjoy positive things that you've worked for. Um, but there's definitely a difference between, you know, um, it's just good enough, but it ain't, it ain't really what I want. If it's a settle situation, I'm settling for something that isn't really what I want in my relationships, my career, my life in some way. Um, then being able to sort of, again, now bring up that advocate voice to say, you know, well, what, what do you want? You know, mm -hmm. yes, you could, you could continue to say, well, maybe in some cases it's even like that devil I know is better than the devil I don't know. I don't, mm. this thing is, is not good, but I know how to do this not good. I know this not good. I've been right. doing this not good for a while. I'm good at it. I can handle it. Mm -hmm. um, maybe if I try to do that other thing that I really want to do, what if it's also not good, but it's like not good in a worse way? Right. Well, there's only one way to find out. Yeah. You know, and half the time that ain't the truth. Right. So, but that's, I think, you know, again, that, that inner advocate is, is, is also built in faith. Yeah, mm -hmm. it, it is. And I think also that we come up with 17 million different outcomes, but what I've learned over the years is that technically there's either two, which is one, it's going to go the way you want it to go or two, you're not going to get your way and it's going to go the other way, right? Like a yes or no type of answer. And so what I'm hearing you say is, part of training your inner advocate um, voice is stemmed in gratitude, right? Like that's where it definitely starts is yeah. being mindful and grateful of the things around you, training your inner advocate voice, which then trains your gut instinct. Um, and, um, and it's very much about that idea of energy. I call it, you know, you're choosing not to receive the energy or sometimes I think of it like, I like visuals. So I think of it like, a person who's doing that, um, who's like the Debbie Downer personality or just the straight attack personality, I think of them, let's say, like a poison, right? And and I'm sure they have good qualities too, so I don't want to take away from that but I just thought of like <laughs> Maleficent to the max when she was upset. <laughs> right. um, but if I think of it like poison, you know, am I going to walk up to poison and go... <sighs> And like sniff all the poison. Wow. Right? Am I going to do that? Or am I going to put on a mask? Wow. So I think of it very much to them that, that just when I am in the presence, and I tell this to clients as well, because like I said, visuals work for me. Okay. Um, and I know they work for a lot of folks. Um, when, when you're in the presence of somebody who you know, people call them energy vampires and other different yeah. terms, yeah. right? Who is just the person who wants to rain on your parade and try to remove your enthusiasm or inspiration or whatever. Um, like, I think of it just literally as like, I'm not breathing in your poison. I'm not receiving your energy. Just wow. not. Um, wow. And, and, and I almost then take it to the next step. Like that's the moment where, you know, kill them what kindness comes in sometimes, not always, not always. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh -huh. <laughs> um, sometimes it's, you know, it's almost like I've had those moments where I'm with someone who's doing that. And I think to myself, I'm not even gonna let you know that I noticed what you just did. Wow. Because you ain't taking away my joy. Right. And let's be clear that you're not going to watch my joy be drained from me. Yeah. Cause I know you want that. Yeah. So, you know, some, for me, it's often, uh, you know, like almost glazing right over it in other cases, depending on what's going on, if it's, you know, 
if it's just using your voice to speak up for something that you think is right, whether that's for you or someone else, um, you know, sometimes killing with kindness is not the answer mm -hmm. uh, at all. Um, but being able to decipher the situation in those moments with the intent purpose of, of that you are not going to, you can't be your best self for you or anybody else if you let somebody else rob your joy and your inspiration and your motivation. So right. I think I ain't letting you steal my peace and right. be clear about that in those moments. Right. Because it goes back to the things that we can and cannot control. So we can't control the things that happen to us, but we can control our reaction to them. And I think that's very much what you're talking about. And I'm definitely going to use that next time I'm around the Debbie Downers um, <laughs> to literally put a mask on, you know, visibly and, and think to myself, I'm not going to suck in your poise. Um, and so I definitely agree with you. Um, about that factor of faith, our gut instinct, like all of these things encompassed. And to be honest with you, um, rescript and telling yourself these the story that you should be hearing, I honestly think following your methods and following your book produces a better human being. But not only that, produces what we're meant to be. Yeah. Because the reason why we have to rescript our stories is because we get confused in this notion that we were only meant to be in this on this earth for one purpose. But it's my belief that God didn't give us one purpose. If God gave us just one purpose, then we would probably only be alive for about 20 minutes, right? <laughs> like I, I just don't think we were meant for one thing. I believe that God has blessed us with so many gifts, yeah. the gifts of, book writing, the gifts of authorship, the, the gifts of telling a story, of being transparent, of teaching, of being a mom, of being a wife. Like, why do we believe, why do we trick ourselves into thinking that we're only meant for one thing? And then we literally have to spend time reinventing ourselves. Yeah. So would you say that if we're caught, if somebody who's, if who's ever listening is right now caught in the middle of going left, which is backwards and going right, which is in a way of having to reinvent themselves, rescript their stories, would you say that the rescripting process is an easy one, is a heavy one? How would you describe it? Um, you know, it's not easy. <laughs> Definitely. Um, I would say that, you know, I really love what you said before about the that grace and truth is sticking with me. Like I'm really loving that so much. Like that was super profound. <laughs> and and, um, and also the way that you described it, you in your example use the idea of how when when we're conveying information, we can both be both compassionate and truthful of calling someone out on something that will be beneficial to them. But I also liked in your example how you called upon, like you gave an example where you, were, you said we, or, you know, I sometimes. I know I do that a lot too with clients. Sometimes when you're delivering news, you're trying to be constructive because you know it's going to be helpful to somebody and you know that not saying something is going to perpetuate a problem that is, is going to, exactly. you know, keep something that's not helpful. I always find also that it, it's helpful to, to be able to acknowledge in those moments that you are also an imperfect human being who's made errors and that you can look within yourself. And that's why going to this idea of, 
is rescripting easy or hard? It's hard because it forces us to look at things inside of ourselves often that we don't, that are uncomfortable to look at. Um, it forces us to, I mean, God, look at a lot of different things. It could force us to look at um, the way we've maybe hung on to something that happened to us longer than was helpful to us. And, mm -hmm. and maybe we thought that some so-and-so was responsible, but you know, again, in your example, it's like sometimes we're responsible, and that's a, that's an uncomfortable thing to look at. It also may force us to look at ways we've, you know, perpetuated negativity or lack of forgiveness or hate in our lives, and or bias or other things, um, or you know, malice or other you know ways that we've not been our best selves to other people, not just ourselves. Um, so it's difficult because it, it requires immense introspection. It requires listening to the way you speak to yourself and about yourself and wow. to other people and the words that you use. Um, and it's hard because it's a lifetime process. It's not a 21 days too. you know, I mm. mean, like I hate those type of things yeah. and, and I'm not saying yeah. like none of them ever work. And, you know, I, I think that you can do certain things in a certain span of time, but I think that self growth is something that you do every single day for the rest of your life. Yes. Um, and, and so that clearly is not easy. It's a commitment you're making for the rest of your life, not just for 21 days or two weeks or six months. So, yeah. um, and again, it, it, it means that you have to look at things in yourself that maybe you're not going to like to see. Yeah. So it's hard, but, but it's, uh, but it's doable because if you do those things, if you are able to, if you're able to look at yourself and see the places where you can grow, then you know where you're going. Right. You're not blind anymore to that stuff. Right. Um, you know where you're going, and you're also less susceptible to being harmed by someone else's criticism of you. Yes. Big time, yes. right? Big time. Yeah. And you feel the spirits and the energies as soon as you walk in the room and you stay away. Oh my God, ain't that the truth? You literally, if you go down and follow Colleen's book and the methods that she's conveying of how to listen to your inner advocate and, and you stretch that, the discernment that is birthed out of that, I mean, it's priceless. The, the discernment that you will have will literally tell you what to do, when to do, who to call, when to call. You'll literally even be able to feel when people are in pain. As much as you feel that those are not good for you, you'll feel when people need you. Yeah. And that's what it's all about, right? Is like you grow and you stretch so that then you can lend a hand to other people. Yeah. And I am also a firm believer that one of the things, sorry, one of the things that popped into my mind as you were explaining why those 21 days things don't stick is about um, diets. Yeah. The reason why diets are now called lifestyles yes. is because they're trying to no longer make anybody do a diet. They're trying to people, they're trying for people to just have a lifestyle because diets are temporary habits and habits can only become lifestyles if there is a change of heart. Yeah. And that's why all these guides, all these tips, all these tricks and all these tools and these books, yes, they're necessary. Yeah. 
And yes, they're meant to change your habits. But at the end of the day, if your habits have not changed your heart, my only advice is to restart. Yeah. Is to reboot and restart. Literally, like if you had a huge CPU, press that big little circle button and yeah. restart and listen to the uh, AOL disc. Dun, 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 dun. Like that's <laughs> happening all over again. <laughs> Literally, that process just has to happen all over again. Because if you go through all of this and you stretch yourself and you grow and you become brand new, but you still don't have a change of heart and you're still not lending a hand and being impactful and, and just keeping it all to yourself, which is a form of greed, then technically you really haven't changed. Um, And I think that that's, what's important to know too. Um, So one of the last things that I love to ask everybody is I gave you 30 seconds before, but now I'm going to give you a 10 second span to tell our listeners everything that you've learned <laughs> that you want to tell them in 10 seconds. I think one of the most important things I've learned and that any person can learn really goes to this idea. And I think it's very timely in the time that we're living right now. Um, look at within yourself and don't be afraid of what you see. Even if you see things that you don't like to see, even mm-hmm. if you see things that mean you got growing to do, we always got growing to do. And it's okay. Yeah. To be flawed is okay. As long as you're working on who you are. If you don't like some of what you see in yourself, work on it. If you don't like some of the way you're serving yourself or others as a force of, of positivity for yourself as a force of good in the world, be okay with looking at things that are ugly and unpleasant in yourself psychologically, emotionally, so that you can keep growing and so that you can also not take in other people's poison. Because when mm. somebody has something to say about you or to you that hurts, you'll know whether it's real and you can do something with it and it's not painful to hear it because mm. you're okay with the fact that you've got work to do and it don't hurt you because it means you can still grow or <laughs> you know if it ain't legit. Amen. Come on now. That's, that's perfect. My hope is that this podcast and all these episodes would unveil more and more parts of ourselves, the people that I interview and myself, that these are all moments that shape me and who I am today. Um, and so I am so thankful for those moments. I'm so thankful for our lives. I'm thankful for us meeting together. I'm so thankful for our time together. And I, again, just want to say thank you so much for taking the time to be on ODAT one day at a time. And I love you. I care for you so much. And thank you again. Thank you a million times over and over again. Honestly, thank you. Thank you, Karina. I love you. Bye. <laughs>